Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you guys as we continue our study in the book of Acts. And I just want to thank you guys for your prayers and for your support. I appreciate the faithful listeners. I just enjoy, even though, again, we're not face-to-face in the same room opening the Bible together, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, and of course, in the love of Christian community, we are banding together as a universal church. So whether you're opening the Bible with me and you're somewhere in Europe or you're somewhere in South Africa or South America. We have listeners. We have people. Isn't that amazing, my friends? We have people all over the world listening to this podcast. Whether you listen to this before you get ready for work or you're working out in the gym or you're driving the kids to school, it is just a great joy to spend this time with you. So again, if you've missed any previous podcasts, you could always check out our main website, standstrongministries.org. And by the way, my new book, Challenging Conversations, a practical guide to discuss controversial topics in the church with Baker Books has just been released in October of 2020. So you could take advantage, go to Amazon where, where books are sold and check out my book. Love for you guys to get it. If you have any questions, please send me an email, info at standstrongministries.org. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, again, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon Podcast, but you've never checked out the video content, you can go to my personal YouTube channel, Jason P. Jimenez, and you can see the playlist there for the Book of Acts. And if you've been listening or watching since we've been uh, teaching the Book of Acts, but you've not gone through the chronological teaching of the Gospels, take advantage of that. I think I spent about three years diving into the Gospels, and man, it was an amazing time and, and just grew close closer to God than ever before. And so that was a a real precious time. And so again, if you've never studied the gospels, particularly in chronological order, take advantage of that. This is why we do what we do. So with that being said, this is podcast 134. We are now in Acts chapter 21. This is Paul is now arrested when he heads to Jerusalem. Now, if you're following along, remember, Paul just wraps up his third missionary journey. So in Acts chapter 18, verse 23, all the way to chapter 20, verse 14, That's when he wraps up the third missionary journey. Now, most scholars, and I do agree, that this phase now, as we go beyond uh, chapter 21, or into chapter 21, I should say, and following, this is Paul's fourth missionary journey. And this is roughly about AD 57. And we're going to see here, and we're going to break this up into two parts. As we go into chapter 22, I'll pause, and we'll pick things up in the next podcast, because there's a lot here. But this is now, as I said, AD 57, Paul's got about 10 years left of his life, but now he's going to be entering imprisonment for a long, long time. And he's going to be writing a lot of the, what we refer to as the prisoner, the prison letters, I should say. And of course, down the road in the podcast, we'll be jumping into those books as well. So if you have a Bible, turn on or turn to Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse one. Now Luke writes here, says, And when we had 
parted from them, that literally in the Greek means tore ourselves away from them. And we set sail. We came by a straight course to Kos, which is 40 miles south of Miletus. And the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, which is the main port of the province of Lucia, 400 miles from Phoenicia. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, which is the Roman province of Syria, we went aboard and we set sail. When we had come in sight to the port side of Cyprus, I mean, going back to remember, by the way, he was there in Acts chapter 13, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. And from there, the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, which is the modern day of Okeo, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, which is the capital of Roman Judea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. We had, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the, the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were urged, there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, at this point in time, as I mentioned, when Paul is now heading to Jerusalem, he's got 30 days on the calendar because we were told previously that he was determined to get to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Pentecost. Now, what's amazing here in verse 4 is the fact that there are disciples in Tyre. It points to the gospel now, my friends, is spreading throughout Palestine, again, by AD 57, so within 20 years after the resurrection. And even though Paul, uh, his fellow brethren, were trying to convince him, they're inclining him not to go to Jerusalem, he knew that that was God's will. And I love that, my friends. Oftentimes, when we feel that we have to face a challenge, what do we tend to do? We back down. We are afraid. And a lot of people think, yeah, but I was praying that God's will be done, but then he's kind of revealing some intense situations, and I just don't think that's of the Lord. Well, you don't know that. And clearly here with Paul, you have, again, a lot of reputable uh, men and women filled with integrity telling him. You have Agabus, the own prophet demonstrating that the belt that I take, which belongs to Paul, and he binds himself up and says, you'll be taken into the hands of the Jews to the Romans when you go to Jerusalem. So people are saying, listen, the, the, the very prophet of God is telling you what's going to happen to you. Why would you go? And guess what? Paul says, I need to go. I'm inclined to go. You're inclining me to stay. I'm inclined to go because I want God's will to be done in my life. 
Isn't that amazing? Just stop and think of the obedience, my friends. I love this also in verses five through six, where Luke gives insight into the personal relationships that Paul had with many people. You know, the thing about Paul that we sometimes skip over was that he was a human being who was well-loved. He probably was a pretty messed up dude, didn't look sophisticated, wasn't dressed nice, as we know. There are many uh, accounts that he gives from his first letter in Galatians, do we see clearly in 1 Corinthians and particularly in 2 Corinthians, where he talks about, you know, his features and being bruised and battered. You know, he was probably a short, stocky guy, um, but he was a well-loved man. He didn't have a lot, but people took great care of him. And he took care of the needs of people around him as well. And I've seen that truly as a pastor, the great comfort that you can bring people, not just you know, when a loved one dies, but when they have questions and when they're seeking answers or they want to be emboldened in their faith and you're there to shepherd them and guide them. And truly that was Paul. Remember the last podcast in podcast 133, when we looked at Acts chapter 20, I titled that as a, the, a, a true shepherd's heart. That's a pastor because uh, Paul lays it out, not just to the elders uh, in, of Ephesus, but he demonstrated that. And certainly you see these families that were around him that just loved being with him. But then we're told that Paul, he goes, uh, it says here in verse seven, when he had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them. And then on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. So now they're the capital again of the Roman Judea. And there he visits Philip. Now remember, this is Philip who was mentioned back in Acts chapter six, where he was an original deacon with Stephen. And he sent to minister, remember, to the Egyptian eunuch in Acts chapter eight, verses five through 40. And then we're told here, because there's been a huge gap. Some people even put, again, about 20 plus years uh, that he's here still in Caesarea where we last you know, saw him at the end of chapter eight. And each of his daughters have the gift of prophecy that are been given by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that was mentioned in Joel chapter two, verse 28. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Now, up to this point of Paul's arrival, remember, like I said, Philip, we don't know the, great, the, the details what he and his daughters have been up to, but they've been ministering to Caesarea for over 20 years. I've been living here in Charlotte, North Carolina since 2006. So I'm 15 plus years here in this city, and I've seen the great work that God has done. Could you imagine what God was doing through Philip and his family? for 20 years in Caesarea. And on top of that, Luke mentions this prophet in verse 10 and 11, Agabus. And he, remember, he was the guy, this is so cool because in this fourth missionary journey, we're reintroduced to Philip and also Agabus. Because if you remember, Agabus was the prophet in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, who talked about the famine that would hit Judea. So they were prepped and ready because of Agabus. Now remember, as a prophet, you didn't get things uh, right most of the time. If God had called you to be a prophet and you prophesy the words of the Lord, it was what? A hundred percent correct. And so now Agabus comes and he encounters uh, Paul and uses this thing with the belt and talks about what's going to happen to him. But if you remember, and this is what's so important, you guys, Agabus was not telling him not to go. He just was sharing with him, just like Jesus told Peter, this is how you're going to go out. It's like a take it or leave it type of thing. Jesus knew what death he was going to suffer, 
but he was obedient to the point, the Bible says, to the cross to death because he knew that salvation would come as a result. Peter knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and he was crucified upside down. Paul later is going to be beheaded. He appeals to Caesar. By the time he appeals to Caesar, Caesar is Nero. And Nero was an okay dude. He wasn't doing anything violent. And then he got really wacko and he beheads, you know, Paul down the road. But the cool thing is, despite what was happening, despite who was telling him not to go, he knew going back to Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, that the Holy Spirit had already indicated, had already confirmed this to Paul, and he was settled with it. You see, my friends, that's important. There, no, don't get me wrong. There are times I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. And I've been not just on the receiving end, but, but, but giving it. When people seek wise counsel, the Bible tells us to do that. But what's important about this situation with Paul was he was not being uh, swayed by people. He already was uh, right on and in tune with the Holy Spirit. So when people are telling him this, Agabus was just confirming what the Holy Spirit already told him. So in Paul's mind, he's like, God's got this under control. But what people were hearing, and again, you don't, you know, get all mad and ticked off with them. Of course, they're going to be concerned. Again, I just said, they love this man. They care for him greatly. But he knew that there was more work to be done. And so this phrase, let the will of the Lord be done, this was a common theme throughout the book of Acts. We oftentimes say it in our own lives. Nevertheless, let the Lord's will be done. And I think, guys, that is a true measure of an obedient follower of Christ. Hey, I may think it could go this way, but nevertheless, let the Lord's will be done. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. You see it again in Acts chapter 3, 13 through 15. Acts 4, verse 10. Acts 5, verse 30 through 31. So notice, that's a key theme, my friends. That's one, two, three, four, five references of the Lord's will be done. And so we as Christians, that's our phrase. We oftentimes think of Jesus in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. But you see the early church applying that as well. So I encourage that you follow God's will, that you say that. You may be in the thick of it right now. You may be praying for a major decision and you don't know the outcome. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a situation with a child or a grandchild. I don't know. But you know what? You say in faith before God on your knees, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. So now let's transition and see verses 15 through 26, where this is part two now, where Paul arrives in Jerusalem and he meets the council there. So let's pick things up here in verse 15. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went up, went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, we related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told 
about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. Verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you will have, you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may share their, he- their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them. And he went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So here, again, despite Agabus's prophetic words about Paul's future beatings, about his imprisonment, his companions, they remained by his side because it says, after these days, we got ready and we went to Jerusalem. So in the first part, as I was mentioning what Agabus did, Paul nonetheless says, that's confirmation. I'm already settled in my heart to go. I'm going to go. And on top of that, his companions go with him. Isn't that amazing? Now, Nason of Cyprus, he perhaps could have been, as it mentions in early, Luke says he was an earlier disciple. This can go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15. He could have been one of the original 120 disciples. So we have, we're reintroduced to Philip, you know, about 20 some odd years later in Caesarea. We see Agabus again since chapter 11. And then he mentions Nason of Cyprus, who was probably a part of the 120, like I said, all the way back in the very beginning of the book of Acts. So it's pretty cool that by this time, God is using these people and we're catching up to them later in life, just like we do in our lives. You know, maybe there was a time in your early Christian life and there's people that God placed there in your life and then you lose track of them. I've certainly in the past 20 some odd years doing full-time ministry have encountered a lot of people and then you don't see them anymore. And then all of a sudden you kind of reconnect or something. That's what Paul's doing here. And I think this is very important because this is encouraging him because there's going to come a point where he's going to be alone because he's going to be in prison. Now he's still going to have access to people to see him because he's going to be under house arrest. But here now in verse 17, guess who he reunites with again is James, the half brother of Jesus. You go back to Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 21. And he's here with the elders in Jerusalem. And he's giving updates about, again, the last missionary journey that he had done and how the gospel's spreading in the funds. Remember, if you go back to chapter 20, verses 3 through 6, and then you look back at Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 28, and then you also look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, there were funds that were coming in so they, they can bring to the Jerusalem church so they can continue to spread the gospel. Now, it had been about seven years since Paul was there when he gave his last report. And if you remember, he was with Barnabas at this time when you go back to chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. So again, fast forward, this is after the third missionary journey, thousands of miles traveled, a lot of churches giving money that he had collected with his other companions and he's bringing these funds as he's giving an awesome report. I just always think, man, 
what would that have been like when they receive, when James and Paul are hanging out together and they're giving this money, they're seeing money coming in now that they've never seen before because people are saying, we need more churches. We need to reach more Jews. We need to reach more Gentiles. And we need to be giving of our money to these causes. And then we see in verses 21 and 20, uh, excuse me, 20 and 21, where they're now saying, hey, there's some things going around. These Jerusalem elders, uh, they're reporting, Paul, about uh, how you are neglecting the law. And there's a growing concern among many Jews about you and how you're misconstruing uh, the law. And we have to talk about this sort of thing. Now, remember, up to this point, you know, Paul's been getting attacked left and right. So it's, it's not, this isn't something that Paul is not familiar with. He certainly is familiar with it. And we see here in verses 22 and, and to 24 where, where uh, to silence Paul's accusers, what James decides to do, and I love this because, again, here's another person stepping into Paul's life. We oftentimes just think, you know, Paul was alone. Paul had it. He, he was good. No, God used people throughout his life, just like he's going to use in your life and he's going to use in my life. And so God's using James here to give him advice, some sound advice. Remember, people were giving him advice, but he was not listening to it because he was already, it was already confirmed in his heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and confirmation through a prophet. This is what's going to happen to you. This is my will to be done in your life. And Paul accepted that. But here he's now told of another challenge when he gets to Jerusalem, kind of spoiling, you know, his reunion with these people. But here's James giving him advice and telling Paul uh, to participate with these four Jewish men who are taking a Nazarite vow. Now, remember, a Nazarite vow was a vow that was personally underwent. And you go back to Acts chapter 18, verse 18, when he took it. And he's saying, listen, in order to silence your accusers, I want you to live in observance of the law. Now, Paul, remember, lived by grace. James certainly was not contradicting that. But remember, these were Jewish men, my friends. This is the first century. They observed the Jewish customs and recognition of the bloodline and respect for the Mosaic law. For example, let me read to you what Paul wrote. Remember, this is after the fact. He wrote this before this incident. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. However, observing certain Jewish practices isn't a matter of earning or maintaining salvation. And that's important. You, even though he's saying that he becomes all these things, observing certain Jewish practices does not get you saved. You don't earn your salvation. That's, that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. He talks about in Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21. So what James is doing is just saying, listen, you know, we are Jewish people. We've not abandoned all of this stuff. We've seen Christ who was a Jew fulfill 
our people's law. It, we refer to it as the Old Testament, right? The Jewish scriptures. And so they're now also reinforcing in verse 25 that, it, that as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment. Remember, this goes back to the letter in Acts chapter 15, abstaining from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. So remember, at the Jerusalem Council, there were certain stipulations that were drafted to unite the Gentiles who were coming to saving faith in Acts chapter 15, verses 23 through 29. And so the early Christian leaders, what they were doing is they were counteracting against the push to make Gentiles into Jews and Jews into Gentiles. And that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians that I just read. And so we got to be careful that because he's going to take a Nazarite vow and he's going to pay for these four men who are participating in this personal vow before God in Numbers chapter 6, does not mean that it's, it's grace plus the law in order to be saved. This is observing customarily their practices. And then, so when we're told in verse 26, then Paul took the man and he purified himself. So Paul's participation, remember, he's an Israelite. Okay, he's an Israelite, Philippians chapter 3. His participa participation in the Nazarite vow in covering these expenses, that was a charitable act that he was contributing into this. So now this carries us into chapter, in chapter 21, verses 27 through 36, where Paul now is arrested in the temple. And this is what the Holy Spirit had confirmed to him that was going to happen in chapter 20. And then as I read earlier with Agabus, that things are going to go south, but he was ready for this. Here it says in verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, that's several hundred soldiers, that all Jerusalem was in confusions, and he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, bound to a guard, that means. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. As he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him, away with him. So this is a very intense point in Paul's life now. Remember, upon finalizing, if you go back to the Nazarite vow, again, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 9. Paul is identified by Jews from Ephesus, and he's accused of four key things. So again, he comes, he, he's, he's reunited with Philip, he's being reunited with James and the elders, and he's bringing money that the church has donated. And so there's a lot of great things, but once again, they've been waiting for Paul. And they accuse him now of four things. The first one is opposing the Jews. He's accused of doing, which again, he wasn't doing. Two, teaching against the Jewish law, not what Paul was doing, obviously. Three, he was undermining the temple. No, he was there observing the law. 
and being respectful as he's done in times past when he's been in the temple. And fourth, that they said that he unlawfully was inviting a Gentile, as Trophimus, into the inner courts. That was a no-no because remember, the inner courts were for Jewish men only to go into that part of the temple. So each accusation it was a serious offense and carried maximum sentencing, particularly allowing a Gentile to enter the, the inner courts, again, which Paul did not do. Let me read to you the New King James Version study Bible. It says, quote, the temple in the New Testament times was surrounded by three courts. The innermost court was a court of Israel where Jewish men could offer their sacrifices. Only consecrated priests actually entered the temple building itself and only the high priest could enter the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, once a year on the day of atonement, according to Hebrews 9 verse 7. The second court was the court of the women where Jewish families could gather for prayer and worship. And the outer court was the court of the Gentiles open to all who would worship God. If any Gentile went beyond the barrier into the second court, he or she would be liable to death, the death penalty. The Roman authorities, out of respect for the Jewish religion, authorized the death sentence for the trespass, even for their own Roman citizens, end quote. So this is significant. We look at it today and think, you know, what's the harm in all this? But you can see now the three different, you know, court, you know, the, the stages, if you will, the places around the temple that were very important. So they're saying that Paul took Trophimus, obviously, and brought him into where the Jews were only allowed to be. And then in verse 30, then all the city was stirred up. So the Levites who, remember, guarded the temple, uh, we're told they shut the gates to prevent the mob because people are just in an uproar. They're going crazy. And possibly, again, just like I was talking about uh, from the New King James Study Bible, uh, the Levites shut the gates because, again, if the Roman soldiers are coming in who are Gentiles, they didn't want them either to defile the temple or, of course, people go into the temple and, you know, uh, loot or do some destructive damage there. So shutting the gates may... Uh, be an indication that they're also trying to prevent Paul from from being killed immediately. We don't know exactly what was the reason for that, but you can uh, see just with the reasons I gave, it was very important for them to act uh, quickly. Now, Claudius Lysias, he was a Roman commander who was stationed in the fortress of a- Antonia, which was near the northwest section of the temple. And so immediately when he sees what's happening, he dispatches, remember, because it's right there by the temple. He dispatches soldiers who put an end to this Jewish disturbance over the situation with Paul. And so when they grabbed him and they presented him before Elias, this, this situation in verses 33 through 36, it's almost reminiscent of the crowds shouting uh, to Pilate to kill Jesus when you look at Luke chapter 23, verse 18. And, and you see points of time. We'll see that in the, pre- in, in the next a few chapters where it's very reminiscent what Paul starts hap- what starts happening to him with the Jews and the Romans with what happened to Jesus. And so now, uh, you know, we're going to pause here because now when you get into verse 37 and following all the way to chapter 22, verse 21, Paul's going to speak to the Jewish mob. He's going to present his case against these accusations. And then after that, you know, he's going to appeal his Roman citizenship, and that's when he's going to get in front of Festus and Felix, and he's going to appeal to Caesar— and he's going to spend time in prison, and they're going to be taking him to Rome, which event, eventually he's going to be beheaded. So hopefully, my friends, uh, as you know, we went through Acts chapter 21, the, the big thing, I think, the big takeaway is, is reunion 
with people that you have served with, that you have fellowship with, that there are times when the Holy Spirit's going to confirm something to you and you have to say, Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. And there's going to be times like James uh, spoke and gave wisdom to Paul that you, you, God's going to put somebody in your life and God's going to use you to put you in someone's life to give the wisdom that you need to give people. So my friends, thank you guys for watching. Again, if you like this video, don't miss any future videos. You can subscribe to my channel if you're watching the video. If you're listening to Audible, uh, to, to the audio, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate your guys' prayers. Again, if you have a question, if you have concerns, if you're studying the Bible and there's a lot of issues that you have, I try to do my best. And so I just wanna apologize up front because I do get a lot of requests. But I do my best to carve out time throughout the week to respond to people's prayer requests, to respond to people's questions. So if you have one, you can email us at info at org. So again, you guys, thank you for your prayers. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to pray that more Christians like you will will hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we'll stay grounded in God's word to do, to do the work that God has called us to do. So thank you guys for watching. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.